We had upsets. We had a top-ranked instant classic in eight-man football, and now it's Rocky Moline week. Mitch, what else is there to say? Let's go. Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about it. Talking Illinois high school football. If your goals are as high as you talk about, tonight's the night you go out and just take one more step. It's a view from the West. And it starts right now! Welcome back to View from the West podcast, your podcast talking about high school football in Illinois on the western side of the state. We're covering the Western Big Six, the Three Rivers Athletic Conference, the Lincoln Trail Conference, Northwest Upstate Illini 11-man and 8-man. I'm Greg Armstrong. I'm joined, as always, by Mitch Stormer, the man behind the wheel on Friday nights on Twitter. Mitch, I'll ask you how your Friday night was because I certainly don't want to ask a Notre Dame fan how his Saturday was. So how was Friday? Look, we can talk about Sunday if you like. We can talk That's about the true. Bears all day, no problem. Uh, I'll tell you, on Friday night, my fingers were tired. It was a, it was an active night. Um, back into it, I missed a week. Um, so back at it, a lot of action going on. Um, shout out to a lot of people who uh, sent in scores. We were missing a couple of updates from some things. So uh, shout out to the fans out there that follow us that were at some of the games, like Knoxville was one. I think, uh, I can't remember the one off the top of my head, but shout out to all of our, uh, our loyal fans who can provide that stuff when uh, we aren't getting updates elsewhere. So appreciate it. Certainly plenty of action to talk about. A couple of new uniforms to talk about that we've discovered this week. So Mitch, a lot to get into. We want to thank everyone who listens, who's been spreading the word. Mitch, we had somebody on Twitter uh, saying they love what the NUICfootball.com does. And he yeah. wished that the Lincoln Trail and you know other conferences had that. And, and we were able to speak up and say, hey, we provide that content every week. So Credit yeah. to the NUIC because they that that's credit well deserved. They he Kyle does a great job of covering that conference and and covering small school football in general. But but yeah, I'm glad that we can hopefully fill that extra niche inside of the Lincoln Trail and the you know the the Three Rivers and the Western Big Six when you get up into the bigger schools. So to everyone who listens, thank you so much. Spread the word, like we said. If you like what we're doing here and you want to support View from the West, we have a couple ways you can do that now. First. You can be a sponsor. If you have a local business that you want to promote, reach out to us. Let's talk. You can contact us at viewfromwestpod at gmail.com. We have several different options to jump on board. We would love to promote your business and have you promote local high school football. If you don't have a local business or don't have a business you want to promote, but you still want to support what we're doing here, head over to PayPal. Mitch, it's now as easy as going directly to paypal.me slash view from West pod. So paypal.me slash view from West pod. If you didn't memorize that, it's okay. It's pinned as our top tweet on our Twitter account right now. So please consider helping us out. This is a passion for us. We love what we're doing. We're certainly not trying to get rich doing this, but there are expenses that come along with the podcast and not to mention a little bit of time commitment here that we end up getting a, uh, getting wrapped up in, which is great. We love it, but uh, we appreciate our listeners. Any way you can provide support, monetary or not, just spread the word. Keep, uh, you know, keep us growing and, and we'll be back week after week talking about what's going on. So speaking of what's going on, Mitch, we start with our headlines from week number three. We call them our viewpoints. Mitch, maybe your viewpoint isn't necessarily on the field action, but it was a pretty cool Friday night at the score, WQAD. Yeah, and, and I'll uh, I'll leave it to you after uh, after this to kind of follow up on it. But uh, 
yeah, watching the score, uh, kind of got some word ahead of time that uh, our old friend Dan Pearson was going to be the guest griller. Um, and for any listeners who are, are not familiar, uh, Dan Pearson is a legend in, in the Quad City uh, media history. I mean, he started the Highlight Zone. He really brought what what you see now with the Highlight Zone, with the score, um, what they do on Channel 4. All of that kind of started with, you know, Dan Pearson's mindset and his vision for, for this. So, um, Greg, you and I both worked with him back in the day. Um, and so to see all you guys together, I, I, took, a, I took a picture of it and I, I tweeted it out. You know, it was, it was Cuffler, it was Stocking, it was Randazzo, it was uh, DP, and it was you. And it was just really kind of a nostalgic thing. It brought me back to, I believe that was the fall of 2006. Yeah, 2006. Um, yeah. And I think I've told the story before. Um, I think really, I think it was our first episode I might have told this story. You know, I wasn't a, a communications major. I wasn't in that building. Um, but a mutual friend of ours in, in Dustin Renwick had said, you know, hey, they're looking for people for the highlight zone this year. And, and obviously, as former as a former player, I was well aware of what it was and couldn't think of anything cooler to do. Um, and that's how we get started. And I remember that first night, um, I think Terry Swales led us into the building. And then, yeah. you know, walking down that old hallway by the production room and, and over to the sports desk. And just walking in and seeing Dan Pearson there, it was like, I can't believe I'm standing right here right now. So that's just how big of an impact that he, he was, you know, for, for me growing up, he was just such a huge uh, personality on TV that you saw, you know, every night if you watched the, the news or, or certainly every Friday with the highlights on. So, um, so cool to, to see all of you guys together. And I think, I think Dazzo said it, you know, that, that was the first time that all of you guys, and at least him at least, had been on screen with DP before. So really cool. Really enjoyed watching it. You know, he's still got it. He's still the best. No offense to anybody else, but he's still the best. Um, and because I heard the instant reacts pod, I'm just going to say the name Matt Randazzo just one more time. Just for, uh, <laughs> just for uh, so I know that I'm good. He's listening to this while he's running right now, and he probably just ran off the road. He probably doesn't believe that Mitch Stormer dropped yeah, the name right. Matt Randazzo in there. He's, he's going to be excited. But, uh, no, getting back to your point, I mean, uh, Cuffler said it, you know, on set that Dan Pearson not only kind of started what is a Friday night, what is Friday night football coverage in the Quad Cities area, but he had such a huge impact on all of us that were there, on you, on so many other people such a positive influence. And I think for me, I covered high school sports a little bit in college, but it wasn't until I got here that I really discovered that passion or the, the way that Dan approached, you know, a Friday night and kind of learning that every school, every school, every program, every team has a story and they all have fans that are excited for you to be there and they can't wait to go home and watch, not just see the play on the field, but to see the band that was featured in the cutaways or in the opening to the show or the cheerleaders or the parents or anybody. It was, is all the atmosphere. And I think that's more even than football on the field. It's every Friday night. I love going to big school, small school, anything in between and just seeing local people from their community coming together to be in one place on a Friday night. And that's yeah. where the action is. That's where people want to be. And that's, that's where my passion comes from. And it, 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 it comes from what Dan kind of instilled in us. Well, and the other thing too is, and people who are listening don't quite understand it unless you've been through it. Um, and, and we've talked about it. And um, 
I'm sure we've mentioned it before, but how chaotic Friday nights are for those, yeah. for those stations, you know, and, and to put on the shows like the score, or the highlight zone, wherever it be, just how chaotic that is. Um, maybe not so much anymore now with technology, but back then, certainly, <laughs> but there was always such, you know, there was always such a calming presence when DP was around. It was like, it's going to be fine. Like we, we got it. We know what we're doing. So um, yeah, just an incredible person. Glad to see that he's still around, but glad to see that he's still doing his thing. And uh, again, it was just really, really cool to see everyone together on, uh, on Friday. Yeah, if you want to go back, anybody who's interested can go back and watch the replay of that show uh, at WQAD.com, or you could go to WQAD on YouTube, and each episode of The Score is posted weekly on YouTube. They stream it live, and then it stays up there posted on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, if, if you watch on YouTube, you get the uh, the glory of hot mics on a commercial break, and so you can always hear what's yes. going on, and you can hear uh, uh, Dazzo specifically trying to... Uh, you know, steer the ship a little bit and make sure everyone knows what they're going to be doing as soon as the cameras come back on. So, um, yeah, that was, that was cool to see. And it, it, again, a lot of nostalgia brought me back to those nights and uh, a lot of fun. That is, that is certainly a look behind the curtain when you're hearing yeah. the chatter between commercial breaks and they keep it clean. You know, I think yeah. I haven't heard any, uh, you know, anything really bad. So that's good. No. I think they know yeah. they're still on during those breaks. So right. anyway, yeah. Well, Mitch, I think I'll leave it at that. I think that's that's my viewpoint, too, is it was a really great night, you know, covering high school football. And, yep. uh, you know, they're all fun, but that one was a little extra special. So, anyway, yep. let's jump into football on the field. The Western Big Six, the marquee matchup, Moline versus Quincy. Moline comes away with the big win, 34-20. to 20. Mitch, Moline has now won 28 over Quincy in their last 35 meetings. And, man, did they do it just with a bruising run game. I got to give you credit, Mitch. That was kind of your your insight into that game was which team can establish the run and really do it effectively. Holy cow. That To say Moline did that is an understatement. They just pounded Quincy in, on, the, on the ground. Yeah, really, really efficient game here for Moline. Um, as you mentioned, just this punishing bulldozing ground game. The rush over for over 500 yards on Friday night. Uh, they were able to, to capitalize on a few crucial, timely Quincy mishaps. Um, but but regardless, uh, they earned the win here. Great win for Moline. Riley Fuller had 279 yards and three scores to really pace that attack. Um, and again, we've seen it from Fuller uh, the past couple of seasons. Um, and, and again, it goes back to, I think, what we talked about in the preseason. This was a team that was probably in a bit of trying to figure out their offensive identity. You know, when you lose Alec Ponder, when you lose Matthew Bailey and more of a, a passing offense, you wondered how they were really going to, you know, uh, rebuild that. We knew that they were going to be good on, on the ground and they certainly showcased it on Friday. Yeah. On the, on the opposite side, Moline's defense really kept an explosive Quincy offense in check for most of the game. But you still got to look at, man, Braden Little is going to be putting up some huge numbers yeah. in the course of his career. He's only a sophomore. He threw 20 for 31 for 279 yards against a pretty good Moline defensive attack. You had Gregory Quince go for 121 yards. And sophomore Tykel Hammers had six receptions for 103 yards. The real bummer of this game was Jarius Rice, who'd been a standout in the first couple of weeks, he did leave this game with injury, so we don't know his status moving forward. But, that, you know, that's a piece that 
they certainly hope is around in weeks, you know, sooner than later, because they already have Aiden Byquist, who's down this year with injury for the year. But overall, I, I still think this Quincy team is going to, they're going to surprise a few, a few teams along the way here, but they just ran into a really good Moline team that was really ready to go in this one. Yeah. And, and you talked about their defense, um, which uh, deservedly so including Grant Sibley, who's a quarterback on the, on the, the other side of the ball, had a clutch interception for the Maroons with about eight minutes left. Following that interception, and this is more of kind of how the game went for Moline, um, Moline took that interception and, and turned it into a 16-play, 76-yard drive where no play or no rush, at least, went for more than seven yards. So you're talking about just <laughs> yeah. a grind and just just burning that clock. I don't, I don't remember specifically if they scored on that last drive, but regardless – chewed up a lot of clock, chewed up a lot of yards, and uh, sealed the win here. And that's exactly, in that situation, that's exactly what you want to do. I mean, that's that's well executed. I mean, obviously, that's what you want to coach into your players, but they got executed, and they <laughs> certainly did on that one. That's, that's a great job. Mitch, before we move along from Moline, we got to talk about Matthew Bailey. What an yeah. impact he is making at the University of Illinois. He scored his first collegiate touchdown and had an interception on Saturday, recovering a fumble in the end zone on a muffed punt in the Illini win over Virginia. Such a cool story for, you know, an athlete in Matthew Bailey that I think kind of took a chance on going to Illinois and going to a big-time program and seeing what can happen, you know, a Division One, you know, Big Ten school, taking his chances and kind of betting on himself, and it, it certainly is paying off so far. Yeah, and since he got there and obviously had had a, a, a bummer of an end to his career with the Maroons in the playoffs last season, but from Coach Bielma and players there, you have heard nothing but good things since day one, and they really anticipate him to be an impact player moving forward, not only this season, um, but in his career as a whole. So really cool to see a local star uh, making a name for himself at the, the highest level. Yep. Let's move along to other action in the Western Big Six. Sterling gets the win 48-21 to over Galesburg. The Golden Warriors struck first. They struck early and often in this one. They built a comfortable lead, never really looked back. Open the game, J.P. Schilling connects with Isaiah Mendoza for a 30-yard strike. Then it's A.J. Kested on the ground going 44 yards. Second play of the game to put Sterling up early. Galesburg would respond, Tristan Legate, with a pass to Mikey Eicher, would tie it up at 7 but the Warriors would score on their next three possessions. That really put this game out of reach. Mitch, talk about a well-balanced Sterling team. They got A.J. Kesta doing great work on the ground, and they have J.P. Schilling and Kale Ryan, who we're talking about in a minute here, also be able to run and make some throws. You know, that this is a dangerous Sterling team if, you know, if they keep things rolling in the right direction here. Yeah, and, and we didn't even mention Antonio Tablante because I don't believe he played in this game. We had gotten some word early on, Greg, before this game that there might be some injury news. We don't, we're not going to speculate, um, you know, on what that was. But yeah, just on three guys that did play in this one, like you said, Tested, Schilling, and Kale Ryan, they're just such a dynamic trio combined for six scores in this game um all, all told 267 yards on the ground 96 yards passing um yeah this is just a, such a good sterling offense but let's take it to the other side of the ball Greg, because this is a galesburg team that can score tristan leggett's a really good player but the warrior defense came up with four turnovers on friday so when you have that sort of one-two punch and talking about offensive defense there Sterling's going to be really hard to beat if they're playing at that level 
Yeah. I think when you look at Galesburg, I think they still have some talent from last year, obviously names we talked about a year ago, but they also lost a lot. So I think maybe there's still some pieces they're trying to figure out in this mix of, they do have some talent. Like I said, I think that there's still, you know, some playmakers and they're getting, they're making plays, but just not quite enough against Sterling. And also when Sterling's forcing the turnovers like that, you know, they're, they're rolling along their offense is too hard to stop at, at that point. Yeah. Uh, were you at this game, Greg? I was, yes. So you, so you saw the, uh, the Silver Streaks uniforms up and, up and close. I did. I saw them firsthand. Yeah, they look good. A very, like very Raiders-esque, you know, kind of look. Yep. It's a good, you know, it's good. The, I like the, uh, the pants. Are, it's a Nike set, and it's, yeah. the pants are very similar to what Sterling has. I think they right. might be almost the exact same, just with, you know, with the gray and the black and the white um, look. The helmet's yeah. really cool. I love the train track down the middle, down that center stripe. I think there's potential to add a logo on each side of the helmet. Yeah, but, I was, uh, was going to say that too. I think I said last week that I hadn't really seen the, the look yet, so that's changed now. But I'm with you. I think if they add that, that streak back or that bolt, whatever it was, yeah. um, might, might add a little something. But it is, it is a great look. It's certainly different from what Galesburg's been doing in, the, in years past, but more, more adhering to that silver streak theme. Yep, Absolutely. Mitch, let's get into one of the other huge games in the Western Big Six. I think me and you both agreed this game would have a lot of impact down the road in conference standings, in playoff, you know, playoff implications. Geneseo gets the win at United Township, 36 to 13. Maple Leafs never trailed in this one. They took advantage of United Township mistakes, and they come away with the big road win. Mitch, I'm really impressed with the Maple Leafs did here. Yeah, this is more of the Geneseo that we know, right, uh, of years past, maybe not so much recently, not not to take anything away from what they've been doing, but, you know, the way that they're winning, the way that they're playing on both sides of the ball, that's what, you know, made Geneseo Geneseo back in the day. So good to see them back um, in this one. You know, UT, again, we, we've seen it this season, running into issues with, with turnovers and penalties. They're timely, you know, that they're taking away – Big plays, big momentum, three three either turnovers or penalties, either a race to first down or a score. Um, and, and Geneseo capitalizing. And against a team like that, you just can't do that. But uh, all the credit to Geneseo. They led 24-6 to six at the break. Uh, Connor Helke, big game, 116 yards, three scores for a team, Maple Leafs. And again, this sounds like Geneseo, 42 rushes, 229 yards. Yeah, on the other side, Matthew Kelly continues to do great work. He finishes with 100 yards passing and 100 yards rushing, just not enough to get them into the end zone more often. They only came out with 13 points in the end there. But Mitch, for Geneseo, let's talk about, do we have a maybe a play of the year candidate? I don't know if we've handed out play of the year in years past, but is this already on your list here? Yeah, it, it is. This was, you know, this was early. Um, this was in the second quarter, but, you know, they were kind of in no man's land a little bit. They're on the 37, on the UT 37. So, you know, if, if you're Iowa, you know, you're punting from there. If you're a good team, you're not. <laughs> um, so, uh, again, I, I don't know their, their kicking situation, but that's, what, a 54-yard or so. Can't do that. It's yep. too close to punt, but they're on fourth, fourth and 14 from the UT 37. They opt not to punt and decide to pull up a play that they had just practiced this week, a hook and ladder. Listeners, you know it, you've seen it, you love it. Um, <laughs> uh, from, from the quarterback Weller, threw it to Calvin Pettit, and then uh, 
he just a perfect toss to him and then just that timely pitch that's what's always key there right that timely pitch to Jaden Winzero uh and he took it the rest of the way 37 yards for a touchdown that put the Leafs up 21 to nothing so yeah uh, really really cool play executed to perfection uh what a time to call that in the second quarter and uh just put all the momentum on Geneseo's side yeah, that that's that's a nice uh, a nice play. And you're right; it's always a hook and ladder is always fun. You gotta look, you gotta love that. So, yep. Well, let's move into the Battle of Rock Island. Rock Island Rocks get the 47 to six win over Alleman after a slow start to this one. Rock Island was holding a seven to six lead, but then Rocky scores on six straight possessions to win the Crosstown rivalry, a name we're very familiar with. Rocky star Quintarian Brooks. Had a pair of 58-yard rushing touchdowns, and he had a 68-yard pick six. So talk about doing great work on both sides of the ball. That's a kid having a big impact for the Rocks. Yeah, uh, as as up and down as the season has been for Rock Island so far to start off, Quintarian Brooks has really been the constant. So another great game for him. Uh, quarterback Connor DeLulio was 6-10 for 101 yards, two touchdowns passing, added one rushing. Uh, here I'm gonna I'm gonna hopefully say your name right, young fella. Neo Goshima, Fiston, Joe Allen, and Darius Tongo, a name that we've talked about a lot, all scored for the Rocks as well. Uh, let, let me tell you this, so Greg, I, I followed this game a little closer. You can tell that Allman is playing a lot better. You can you can tell that they are so much better than they were last year. Still some mistakes, still some timely mistakes, um, but. You know, you talked about Andrew Torres, 135 yards on the ground on 26 carries, and he was the one who scored their lone, their lone touchdown. So, again, they're, they're going to have games like this this year, but they're playing so much better than they did last year. Yeah, I think on the Instant Reacts podcast, which I encourage everyone to go out and listen, that's the most recent episode you can go find right before this episode airs or is posted on any podcast platform. Anyway, in the Instant Reacts we recorded, Matt Randazzo was at this game, and he pointed out, and you can kind of see it the way it played out in the score, that Alleman really did a good job early in this one controlling the line. They, they were doing a good job up front. I think what you saw play out in this game is going to be a hard reality for Alleman in the Western Big Six, is that eventually they just get worn down and mm-hmm. they don't have the same amount of players. They don't have the numbers right. to keep fresh bodies out there and kind of you know, getting on and off the field and eventually your defense is going to get tired. And I think that's, it's that, that's maybe what happened in this one. When you saw the six straight possessions for rock Island scoring, certainly a rock Island offense, that's high powered. We know that. So, um, but credit to Allman Cause I think, you know, Randazzo said as much as well. He said the same thing that the, he thought they looked much improved in this one. So we'll see what they can do down the way. And if they, you know, they play well and can keep things rolling. Can they pull off an upset somewhere in the Western right. Big Sticks? But yep. Mitch, talk about um, kind of the what the fans were wearing at Rock Island. Kind of a special emotional night there for the Rocks. Yeah, it was it was a bit of an emotional night for Rock Island. Fans in attendance wore purple. Uh, they had custom T-shirts and they were loose purple balloons. I believe in the first quarter uh, to honor the late Alfonso Puckett. He was a former Rock Island student athlete who passed away unexpectedly earlier this week. And so this is, you know, this is a part of a much bigger thing, you know, that we like about doing, doing this is that the sense of community that high school football brings about, um, and you saw it there in Rock Island, pulling together for a former student athlete, for the family, coming together. Um, so really, really cool to see for them. Yeah, it's, you know, certainly a great 
uh, show of support by the community. And, you know, our thoughts and prayers go to the Puckett family and to, and to everyone in the Rock Island community, because that, that is something that's really hard to deal with and certainly hard to get through. And hopefully they can lean on each other, you know, for strength in, in, in a tough situation. But um, good to see that show of support. Mitch, let's move into week number four in the Western Big Six. We got some games that, again, you know, every week, have some impact and could have mm-hmm. some lasting impact down the world down the road when you look at conference standings sterling goes on the road to rock island allman you got quincy hosting united township geneseo hosting galesburg and the big one mitch it's rivalry week it's rocky it's moline it's rock island hosting the maroons i think i think we got to start there we got to talk rock island moline yeah, um, talking about two teams with all the momentum uh, coming off of big wins here in this week. So uh, Moline maybe a, a bit of a tougher test um, in Galesburg, but also a much needed win for Rock Island, maybe a tune-up game of sorts for them to get into that flow that they've been looking for all year. So again, it doesn't matter if these teams were 0-3 coming into this game. It's going to be a hard-hitting game. It's going to be great football. It always is. Um, I say that. But understanding what the result was last year, if you remember that game, Greg. Uh, yeah, I do. I do remember that. I think a lot of people on either side, Moline fans remember it positively, and Rocky is probably trying to forget it. Right. I think, you know, fast forward, this is a different year. This is a new year. This yeah. is a new team. What can Rock Island do to slow down Moline's offense? I mean, we saw against Quincy what Moline was able to do on the ground. They clearly established themselves as a power football team on the ground that really could not be stopped by Quincy. Does yeah. Rock Island have an answer for that? They're going to have to hope so. You know, that was something that we talked about with Rock Island where they've allowed, at least this was at the first two games or, or sorry, the, the last game last season, first game this year where their defense was really a spot that needed to get cleaned up a lot, a lot of points. Seems like they've been showing that up little by little here this season, which is good because they're going to have to, they're going to have to be, really strong on the, on the front line, try and stop the, the really, really good Moline offensive line from opening up those holes for those running backs. So they're really going to have to, you know, try and, and blitz, fill the gaps, whatever they need to do to, to stop that. Um, for Moline, um, you know, if that does happen, I think Grant Sibley could play a big role in this game too. If, if Rock Island's able to stop their, their ground game, and Sibley has to throw. I think he's shown that he's capable of doing that too. So um, I do expect this to be a, a game that is not 63 points difference as it was last year, but uh, looking forward to it. I, I would give Moline the edge just on the way that they've been playing. But again, rivalry game, you never know. Rock's coming off a big win. Quinterion Brooks, always, you know, going to be a bright spot, always going to be one of the best players on the field. So looking forward to it. You know, and I think if this Rock Island team continues to improve, Man, they certainly don't need any more motivation. They're certainly hungry enough to eliminate what happened last year. So, I, yep. you know, Quintarian Brooks and Connor DiUlio and Darius Tongo, that's a lot of weapons there that, you know, Moline will have to answer for. And I think that's what, that's what we love about this. That's what's going to make a great Western Big Six showdown. Yep. So we got Sterling at Alleman, Quincy, United Township, Geneseo at Galesburg. The next one that stands out to me is, Geneseo is at home against Galesburg. Don't get caught looking a week ahead to Sterling. Right. They're at home against Galesburg. 
you got to watch out for this. We just talked about Tristan Legate, Mikey Eicher, Amari Richardson. Don't get caught up looking ahead because Galesburger come out and they'd, uh, they'd get that upset win. I, they could potentially. Yeah, this will be a good test to see, you know, how good Geneseo is. They got the, the, the win week one against Noble. A game in week two, they probably could have won. Don't want to say should have won, but maybe a game that they could have won against Grace Lake. And then obviously this week, a nice one against UT. So again, another test here as Galesburg comes in, a really solid team. So okay, like you said, can Geneseo stay focused? Can they get that third win of the year? Something that it took them last year a while to do. It took them a couple of weeks after going 2-0. Um, and continue to play like we've seen them play all year. Yep. The other uh, matchup that I'm really looking at, United Township now has to go on the road to Quincy. So, man, you talk about a team that is hungry for a win. I I don't know if I want to go as far as to say desperate for a win, but, man, they really need to get in the win column bad. They need to flip this script. It's a tough test to go on the road to a talented Quincy team but Mitch, we keep talking about it every week. United Township has the talent to grab these yep. wins. Yeah, uh, two really good quarterbacks. Quarterbacks in this one, Matthew Kelly and Braden Little. So, and again, like we talked about, not really sure what Jarius Rice's status is going to be for Quincy. Obviously, he's a game changer. Uh, but they also proved that they can score without him. So, um, yeah, another big test for UT. They've had such a tough start to this, this year. Really good teams that they've played. Um, but again, this is maybe, uh, an opportunity for them to pick up that first win. Yep. Let's move into the three rivers athletic conference. Princeton will lead off with them. Mitch, they continue to roll along. They get the big 55 to 20 win over hall, the 89th meeting between these schools and the tigers take the win. Mitch, a bit of a different strategy now. Okay. Stocking referenced this on instant reacts too. So was this actually a strategic thing or was it just like the kick accidentally went short? Describe what, what we saw here. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's certainly intentional and it's not an onside kick either. They're just kicking it short. Um, and I, I didn't see video of how they do it per se, but they just kick it into a position where they can use their athleticism and their speed. Cause they have it across, you know, their entire team um, that they just recovered these kickoffs. So they did it to, uh, two times in a row on Friday night, they end up scoring off of both of those. Greg, they were up 14, nothing, two minutes into the game. Yeah, man. If you're spring Valley hall, you got to be looking around saying like, what just happened? Like we just got off the bus here and we're already down by 14. And I, that's what a good football team does to you, I suppose. So yeah, n- nothing against, uh, nothing against hall. It's just, this is what Princeton does. They're, they're so fun to watch. Uh, Tegan Davis, another big game. He just announced today he committed to Eastern Illinois. So congrats to him. Uh, not going to be the only player on that team committing to play college ball either. So really good Princeton team. They keep rolling. Yeah. Awesome to see that news from Tegan Davis. That that's huge. Very talented quarterback. Fun to watch Mitch. Another speaking of talented quarterbacks, we already have a a view from the West player of the year candidate coming out as Peru St. Bede. The Bruins get the Bruins get the win 34 to 20 over Kiwani. Mitch, you've been talking up the Bruins. Give me the rundown here because we got a we got a potential player of the year candidate coming out of there. Yeah, uh, John Brady, uh, Bruins quarterback. We talked a lot about him last year. Just continues to, to just uh, his torn start, I should say, to this this season. He finished twenty three of thirty four for two hundred sixty nine yards, two touchdowns. Also ran for forty yards and a touchdown. So 
adding everything up, I believe I could be wrong. I think he's already at 11 touchdowns for the year. So just an incredible, incredible player. Doesn't do it alone, though. He's got a, a great supporting cast. Ben Wallace caught eight passes for 136 yards and had two scores. He was the top, uh, the top target. Uh, Tom McCransky and Callan Kunenberg, uh, also great games for St. Pete. So, you know, and, and, and again, look at, we're going to talk about this in a minute, I think, in the Mendota game and, and two in, in the Fulton Dupet game. This is a 1A team that just beat a 4A team. Yeah, and did absolutely. It pretty, and did it pretty convincingly. And I know Kiwani's having it down here, but you're still talking about a huge gap in enrollment. So um, I think that's a testament to St. Bede, how well that they've been playing since last year. Um, and this is a team that continues to impress me. And I think, uh, again, depending on how, how the rest of the season plays out for them, um, they still got some tough games left. And, and depending how that, that 1A bracket's going to look, I do think this is a playoff team. And I do think that they will make a run. I'm saying that already um, because they've just, they haven't proven otherwise. They're, they've just been so good this year. Uh, Mitch, as someone who grew up in Ottawa and was around, you know, playing St. Bede growing up, the yeah. name, the name Tom McCransky is like yeah. the most St. Bede name of all time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's on the all time, all names team. Cause he, that's just a name that you hear, you know, I feel like yep. it, it, that, them and Hall have, you know, a lot of similar names like that. So right. anyway, getting back on track, have we, have we talked about the Bruins defense yet? We're about to, you're talking about a really good Kiwani squad. Uh, defensively, the Bruins held the, the Boilermakers to 109 rushing yards and forced three turnovers. So, um, yeah, they're, they're doing it on both sides of the ball. But, but here's the stat, Greg. We talked about John Brady. Yeah. We've talked about his brother, Ryan Brady, uh, in previous games, too. Uh, two fumbles and an interception for him in this one. And he has picked up a pass in all three of their games so far. So you have two... <laughs> I don't want to say the Brady much. I'm not going to do it. But you have two, <laughs> you have two really good Brady brothers on, on both sides of the ball. Double whammy. Uh, cool to see. And they keep rolling. Man, you talk about it. Yeah, you talk about just like a football family, man. They, they are they are locked in right now. Mitch, yep. hey, you know what we say? Look good. Play good. Yep. The Bruins look pretty good, too. They, they look the part yeah. as well. Let's go through these uniforms. Yeah, you know, it was about 1 a.m. my time last night when I was doing this last night, and I, I found some pictures of the game, and I just kind of thought, that, well, that looks a little different. Um, and I we haven't confirmed it yet, but we, we're just going to say that they are new. Um, an all-black set for St. B. Never seen that before. You know, traditionally, they're, they're that dark forest green uh, in either white pants or, or silver pants, whatever it may be. Um, but this is, this is a black set. Um, it's got gold piping on the shoulders with like that, that darker green in the, in the middle of the, of the stripes. And then kind of the same thing on the knee pads, which is a, a different placement. I, I haven't seen too much on the pants. So, um, still with their traditional green helmet. So it was a different look, nice look. And uh, like you said, look good. You're going to play good. They did it here. Yeah. I, I was, when I looked at it, I had to do a double take cause I assumed it was that forest green or that yeah. dark green color that they always wear, but no, it was. It was definitely black, so that's a that's certainly a different look for them. But yeah, it looked looked pretty good. Yep. All right, Mitch, let's move along. Mendota gets the win, forty nine to twenty three over Bureau Valley. Trojans got on the board in this one with a one yard run by JP Belmonte. That was eight minutes left in the first quarter. They weren't done there. Certainly not. Anthony Childs scored on a thirty four yard run. Isaac Smith returned a fumble, fifty five yards for a touchdown. Then Justin Randolph tossed a 23-yard touchdown pass 
to Braden Freeman to give the Trojans a 28 to nothing lead after one period. Mitch, that was pretty much all, all they, all they needed there. They were going to run away with this one. A lot of, a lot of standouts for uh, Mendota in this one against Bureau Valley. They look good. Yeah, I was seeing the updates on this one and just kept seeing Trojan touchdowns get added to the scoreboard. So good to see Mendota get the win here. Anthony Childs, as you mentioned, had 108 yards, two scores on 17 carries. Uh, Isaac Smith had two scores as well on 63 yards. Uh, Justin Randolph, 13 and 19. And again, Greg, that was a player who we kind of talked about. They had to replace quarterback this year for Mendota. Yep. That was going to be a big key to what their offense was going to look like. So he was 13 and 19, 205 yards in the touchdown. Uh, and, and Braden Freeman, as you mentioned, hauled in five passes, 93 yards and a touchdown. So great win for the Trojans. Good to see that offense really clicking. Yeah, they moved to now two and one in three or two and one overall. And they're one and oh in three rivers, Mississippi play. So a good start to the conference, good start to the season for them. Mitch, Bureau Valley, they're struggling a little bit. They did manage to put up some points in this one, but, you know, they were kind of trailing almost the whole way. They've played competitive, see if they can take that next step and and, and get some wins here down the road. Let's go to Newman and Orion. Newman gets the win 13-12. This was a kind of a classic, traditional Newman toughness on a hard-fought road win against the Chargers. You know, we saw in the Morrison game earlier this year, special teams again for Newman playing a huge role. Comets opened the scoring early in this one when Aiden Batten's re- Aiden Batten returned a 63-yard punt to the house for a 7-0 lead in the first quarter. Then they cling to a 7-6 lead early into the fourth quarter. A snap goes over the head of the Orient punter, recovered by Newman. Carter Rude scores on a one-yard run. That would stretch the lead to 13-6. Orion would score with just over two minutes left in this one to be down by one, but the Comets stopped the two-point conversion. Then they recover the onside kick and ran out the clock. So a great effort from Newman. This was a battle on the road. A team, an Orion team that we continue to talk about is improved from last year. They come up a little short in this one. Newman grinds it out and gets the win, though. Yeah, like you said, special teams continues to be a bright spot for Newman here, uh, getting the big punt return and uh, getting the fumble recovery um, on the punt. But, um, yeah, a a traditional game here for Newman, just one of those grinded-out games, hold on um, and win. I'm going to talk about it here in a little bit when we go through the week four previews. Still have some concern on Newman's offense, right? This is another game. Go back to the Morrison game, the Rock Ridge game, and now this game. That offense just has not put up a lot of points. Their defense has been, you know, kind of bailing them out a little bit. So um, that that will be a little concerning for me, especially going into a St. Pete game. Um, but but again, you're you're talking wins at this point. Um, they've got two of them, so this is a good win over a tough, like you said, tough Orient team. Yeah, a good win for Newman. A close game in that one. Another close game on Saturday afternoon. Mitch, the Morrison Mustangs get the 18 to 16 win over Monmouth Roseville. Yeah. Mitch, I don't know how else to say it. This is a huge win for yeah. Morrison. This is a huge win for that program. They knock off the Titans. They were a 3A playoff team a year ago and a team that we've had pretty high hopes for. Give credit to the Morrison Mustangs. They played really yeah. well and they got the job done. Yeah, you know, they, they've played well this year, right? They, they had that. The, the score wouldn't indicate that against Newman, but Newman had a lot of those close yardage yep. touchdowns. 
played Newman tough, played Kiwani tough, a, a team even bigger than Monmouth Roseville, a two point loss there. Good to see them get a two point win here against Monmouth Roseville. So, yep. uh, but, it, but it, it was close, Greg. It was really close. Came down to the final play. Monmouth Roseville had a shot in the end zone from about 15 yard line knocked away. So good defense there in Morrison. Uh, Greg, we got some in- insider info from here about Morrison. Talk to me, talk to me about it. Yeah. So on Twitter, I reached out to our uh, friend of the show, True Grit on Twitter, huge Morrison Mustang guy, you know, like yourself, Mitch, a Morrison yeah. Mustang guy. Um, yeah. he, he's excited and he has reason for optimism. And he goes into the details here. Morrison only has four seniors playing on this football team right now. So they're under, they're led by underclassmen, obviously, and almost the entire defense is underclassmen. They had freshman Brady Anderson starting at halfback in this game. He had several nice runs and a touchdown. Another touchdown by Carson Strait, Straiting, um, who's a name we've talked about throughout the year. So this Morrison team is playing well. They're still young, but man, there's a lot of young talent there. And I think if they continue to improve and work on things throughout this year, I think there's a few more wins in their future. Are we looking at a five-win potentially Morrison team? Are we looking at a playoff team here? Well, it, it's it's possible. I think it is. They'll have a shot at it next week against Hall, which we'll get into it. Hall, a team that has shown uh, that they're very capable of scoring points, a team that blew out Morrison last year, uh, led by Matt Resetich. So, uh, looking forward to that one, to seeing if Morrison can continue this momentum. Again, played really, really well. So good to see them get a win here. And let's hope, uh, you know, that this leads, like you said, down a path of getting a couple more wins and maybe eventually getting that fifth win. Yep. One more game to cover from Saturday in the Three Rivers Conference. Erie Prophetstown gets the 35-28 win over Sherrard. The defending conference champion Panthers, they win their league opener. The Tigers do fall to 0-3, but Mitch, the Tigers were down at one point in this one. Sherrard was down at this one, 28-7, and I give credit to Sherrard for battling back. Like we said, the game ends up 35-28, but man, to be down that much and to come back and get it close, I know moral victories are kind of tough at this point, but they've been competitive in all of their games so far. So certainly there are signs of, of improvement here. But again, let's talk about Erie Prophetstown. Senior running backs Tyler Ballard and Jace Grunder, they lead the way. Yeah, it is seemingly week in and week out. We talk about the same names. So Grunder, another nice nice night for him. Nice day, I should say, on Saturday. 206 yards, three scores. I was, you know, I talked about John Brady's touchdowns. I'd love to know how many Grunder has because he had five in the first week. Um, and Tyler Ballard had 175 yards and two scores. So another good performance from Erie Prophetstown here doing – what they've been doing this season and kind of continuing on, uh, you know, their kind of that offensive identity from last year, a little bit different, you know, don't have Kobe Franks anymore, but they're still uh, ground and pound, chewing up that clock, chewing up the yardage and uh, really good team. Once again. Yeah. They do have new uniforms this year too, Mitch, by the way, Erie Prophetstown does. Yeah. Yeah. This is new. Yeah. The, they, it's, just um, got those, they just got those other ones. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, they'd had them, I think for a few years, but anyway, um, okay. yeah, they got a new look too. I, I can't think exactly what they, what the look is. I don't have the picture right in front of me, but maybe we'll have to get that out on Twitter as well. I, I know we got some eerie prophet sound listeners. So if anyone's out there, send us those uniforms. I'd like, I'd love to see them. Yep. Uh, quickly before we wrap up Sherrard Holland Anderson was 12 for 24 passing 145 yards. Carter Brown had seven receptions for 119 yards. 
He also added 56 yards rushing on eight carries. So again, the Sherrard team, yes, they're 0-3. But Mitch, you look at their final scores from this year. I'm going to give them a lot of credit here. You know, the, there's good things happening there in Sherrard. I think keep fighting and, and a win will come down the way for them. So yep. good luck to Coach Johnston and, and, that, and that crew. Uh, Rock Ridge gets the forfeit win over Riverdale. So that brings us into the week four matchups. Mitch Bureau Valley is at Kiwani. St. Bede is hosting Sterling Newman. Princeton is at Mendota. Erie Prophetstown at Rock Ridge. Monmouth Roseville at Sherrard. And Hall at Morrison. So yeah. I'll, I'll start with you, Mitch. You, you kind of laid it out here a little bit, a matchup you're interested in, but let's get into it. Well, I, I'll tell you, l- looking at this lineup, I am intrigued by most of these games. They're yeah. all, you know, they, yeah. all have, they all have implications for each division. But yeah, the one I'm looking at, I think the marquee one of the of the week is going to be Newman going to St. Bede. And again, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. You have that dynamic offense from St. Bede going against a really stout Newman defense. The flip side of that, St. Bede has a dynamic defense against maybe, I don't want to say a strong Newman offense, but just an offense that hasn't put up a lot of points. So, yep. um, you know, this could very well bode uh, well for either team and their playoff implications, certainly in their conference standings as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. Other than that, uh, I look at a really good game from last year, Erie Props on Rock Ridge, two really good offenses. Rock Ridge coming off of a, a bye week, Erie coming off of a nice win. So, yeah, there are some really good games here in the track lineup in week four. That Erie Prophet Sound Rockridge game from a year ago, one of the more one of the most fun games I've covered in yeah. a long time. That was a shootout. That was a ton of fun. That St. Bede Newman game really, really intrigues me for the points you brought up. Cause I just I love a football team that can win close games, that can grind it out and get that win. Newman has showed they can do that. But I think my question becomes how long can you rely on that special teams play to happen, you know, like right. how long can you rely on the blocked punt or the return kick, or eventually you got to put up a, you know, a touchdown or two. And then if you do that, I really love Newman's chances with that defense, but you, you yep. got to get there. You got to find a way to get the ball in the end zone. I think offensively to really set the tone, same bead, man, they, they got to find a way to, to get around this Newman defense, which has proven to be pretty tough. So led by Mike LeMay. So no surprise, right. but Right. You know, John Brady is one of the better weapons we've seen this year. So, right. And, and again, we talk about how good Newman's defense is. I just look back at that Rockridge game, right? They proved that they can be scored on. They, they have kind of shown the blueprint there. So, can St. B follow that or can Newman slow down that attack? So, yeah. uh, both teams have shown that they're capable of doing either thing. So, uh, you know, who will take advantage of, uh, of that on Friday? But I will say that that game, that game against Rockridge, it was only six nothing. At yeah, the half, right. Newman Newman right. was down six nothing. But even still, Newman had held Rockridge out of the end zone when Rockridge had had several opportunities in the red zone, or at least close to the red zone. At least they had been driving downfield, so sure. they did shut Rockridge out of the end zone several times leading up to that. And sure, it did open it itself up a little bit in that game. Rockridge pulled away and looked really good, but for a half of football, for three quarters of a game you know, Newman looked really tough on defense. So, and, and they did against Orion as well. So uh, Monmouth Roseville looking to bounce back against Sherrard. Sherrard, a team that we've said is playing well, but that's a tough test. Monmouth Roseville is very talented, yep. like we've discussed. And Hall at Morrison. That's a game that was really interesting to me. Obviously, Morrison playing really well, coming off the big win. But man, Hall and Mac Resetich, like 
does Morrison have what, what it takes to slow him down? And he's done mm-hmm. some damage. So I, that's also, you're right. There's a lot of intriguing matchups yep. here, Mitch. I will say that. So let's transition into the Lincoln Trail Conference. We're going to start with Knoxville getting the win over Stark County, 35-7. to seven. Mitch, we got to mention right off the bat, the uniforms yeah. for Stark County wearing the red at home for the first time since 2003. That goes back to even before I was in the area. I I remember that, but only from seeing highlights. I, since my time covering Stark County, I've only seen the black at home. So it was, yep. it was a different look. It's cool. They're doing some different things this year. Unfortunately, uniforms aside, it was a tough night for Stark County. Knoxville kind of spoiled the party there. Jackson Johnson for the Blue Bullets went 95 yards and three touchdowns. He also threw a touchdown pass from five yards out. So talk about a dynamic weapon, having a little fun yeah. there and throwing the pass. Sawyer Tucky added 11 rushes for 71 yards and a touchdown. So another great effort for Knoxville. Mitch, I I don't know. We didn't expect them to, to miss a step, but they've done everything and more in, in this year. Right. Yeah. They, they added some, you know, some new names this year, graduated a lot of seniors, but it's same old Knoxville. Right. So we've, we've mentioned Jackson Johnson just about every week as the, the blue bullets are, you know, remain undefeated here and looking to uh, win back to back. Well, they, they were co-champs last year, but we'll just say for the sake of yeah. talking, looking to repeat again, looking to continue to be that top dog that we, we know they have been for the past couple of seasons. So uh, yeah, the, the blue bullets keep on rolling. Yep. On the defensive side of the ball real quick, uh, get in Oscar young. He had four tackles, one tackle for loss and a sack. So great defensive effort from him. So Knoxville blue bullets continue to look good this year. Mitch, the Mercer County golden Eagles also looked good. They get the win 28 to nothing over United. The Golden Eagles led the Storm 16-0 at halftime, and they didn't look back. They added two more scores in the third. They get the shutout win. Per WRMJ, Mercer County hit a major milestone on Friday night. They win their 600th game since 1910. So this includes the victories added in as the Alito Green Dragons. So what an accomplishment, a program you know, no secret, you know, one of the best programs in the area, in the state. Wow. What a milestone, 600 wins. Yeah. If any uh, of our listeners on the younger side uh, are unaware of the Alito Creek Jack Dragons, please look up on your history. Um, an incredible program back in the day. One of the teams that you never wanted to face. Um, you know, we, we've talked about that with traditional programs on this show in the past, but uh, Alito was, the, I remember the first game I went to was Morrison Alito. And I just, I had that kind of mentality going into it, like, whoa, like we have to play Alito. And sure enough, Alito won. But um, yeah, it is a shame that they, you know, they don't exist solo anymore because it, it was such a, a cool team. But um, what, a, what an accomplishment here for, for the community, for the school, 600 wins. Um, also, Greg, Mercer County has never lost to United, 14-0 now. That really surprised me. That that yeah. one caught me off guard. I, I didn't know that one, I don't think. so. Blame blame Brian Stocking, if that's incorrect. Yeah, there you go. Always blame Brian Stocking. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. A uh, couple more games to get to here in the Lincoln Trail Conference. Anwan Weathersfield gets the 39-19 win over Princeville. Mitch, after a 60-point performance against Wes Hancock, this Titan offense continues to flex their muscle. They're now 3-0. 
They got a huge non-conference matchup in week four. We'll get to that in a minute, yeah. but this Anawan Weathersfield team looks really good right now. Uh, Rova Williamsfield, they played a crossover game against Macomb from the Prairie Land. They unfortunately fall short in this one, 55 to 27. Mitch, I feel bad. I think I'm the jinx. I, I, I was excited about Rova Williamsfield. They were 2-0 and and I show up and they lost. But anyway, yep. still a lot here for this Rova Williamsfield team. This one crossover game certainly doesn't define their season. They're going to bounce back. They got a lot of um, wins ahead of them here this season, I believe. So, yep. And one more to cover. A-Town gets the 49 to nothing win over West Carroll. So good for the Tornadoes to get their first victory of the season in a non-conference game against West Carroll from the NUIC. So into week four, Mitch, in one of those Prairie Land crossovers, we have Stark County hosting Elmwood Brimfield. We have Princeville hosting Rova Williamsfield. We have United hosting Knoxville. Mercer County is hosting A-Town. And Mitch, the big non-conference game that I referenced, Anawan Weathersfield goes on the road to Ottawa Marquette. Yeah. Marquette is sitting at 3-0. They have a pretty impressive resume coming into this one. And Anawan Weathersfield also at 3-0. And they also look very good. That, that's the one that stands out to me. It, I know it's a non-conference game, but when yeah. you start looking at the Class 1A rankings, I know in our NUICfootball.com poll, both of them are in the top 10 deservedly. These are two really good 1A football teams squaring off. Yeah, this will be an exciting matchup, no question about it. So um, looking forward to it, as you mentioned, maybe not so much conference implications here for Anna Weathersfield or, or for Ottawa Marquette being an independent, but uh, certainly um, a bit of a chess match type of thing when you're talking about playoffs. So I believe both of these teams will be in those 1A playoffs. And so will we see them again? It's possible. So um, two really good teams riding momentum. As you mentioned, both teams kind of rising in those 1A rankings that at least we do, and I'm sure they do for, for the state as well, because they're deservedly so. Um, outside of that game, you know, Mercer County, A-Town is exciting based on what happened last year. You know, that was a really, really exciting finish uh, to that game, to that season. Um, A-Town, bit of a down year in Mercer County, really playing well. Uh, Knoxville United, a, a, again, a team – in Knoxville playing well, United, you know, could, you know, could show up in a game like that. They have certainly have before. So uh, maybe not as intriguing as the track. That's taking anything away from these games. But uh, Anawan Weathersfield, I don't know, Marquette really is the spotlight here. Yeah. I think the other one that stands out to me as far as games in the Lincoln Trail Conference, Rova Williamsfield goes on the road to Princeville. So they, yeah. they stubbed their toe against Macomb. But now they got to bounce back and they get back into conference play. So, like I said, you kind of ignore the Prairie Land crossover game. Sure, it certainly hurts. You know, you, don't, you want to win every game you go out there and play. But now everything's still in front of you as far as the Lincoln Trail standings are concerned. So, you got a chance here to go up against the Princeville team that's reeling a little bit. They lost to Anwan Weathersfield, like we referenced. So, can Rova Williamsfield get back on track and kind of play that football they've been playing in the first couple weeks? I think that's a game that I certainly want to follow, see what happens there. And, you know, for Knoxville and for Mercer County, it's against teams that have been struggling a little bit. United and A-Town don't look to be the same as they were a year ago. But it's like we said, you got to show up week in and week out. You can't, you can't lose an opportunity here. They can't look too far ahead or overlook anybody. Knoxville and Mercer County got to get the job done. So, you know, see if they can do that, and we'll see what, uh, how things play out. Mitch, let's get into the Northwest Upstate Illini. 
a huge game, a huge showdown in the NUIC. Fulton over Dupec, 31-22. I don't know if I'd go as far as to call this game an upset, but when you start talking about a playoff team, a 3A playoff team in Dupec a year ago, Fulton is a 1A school, only their second year in the Northwest Upstate Illini. Mitch, I don't think it's it's an exaggeration to say this is kind of like Fulton's, you know, program defining win in the Northwest Upstate Illini so far, right? Yeah, I, I think so. You're talking about a really good team in Dupec, obviously. Um, the, the defending conference champions, which anytime you're talking about the defending, you know, a conference champion in the NUIC, you're talking about a really good football program. And then you add in that they're a bigger school. They're a the 3A program, a really good 3A program. Um, so, yeah, uh, this is a, a huge win for Fulton. Yep. Again, if you want to call it an upset or you don't, I think maybe both are correct. Um, maybe surprising is more of a thing, but in a good way in terms of how good Fulton played and how well they stopped this, this Dupac um, attack who we have talked about week in and week out. They are very dynamic. And Fulton showed that they're, you know, they're ready to play and they're ready to maybe ascend uh, to that you know, uh, top spot. I mean, this was the first NUIC loss for Dupec in two years. So yeah, um, this is a really, really important game for Fulton. And uh, again, kind of ascends them uh, to the top to uh, compete with Lee Wynn for not only the NUIC title, but really be a player in the 1A playoffs. Yeah. Uh, for Dupec, Cooper Hoffman finishes with 184 total yards and two touchdowns. So he, he looks great. Um, AJ Mulcahy, I believe, had a, had a great game. He continues to look good. But I give a ton of credit to the Steamer team. And head coach Patrick Lower really has this team playing well, has this team poised to win every game they show up, you know, they show up at. And that's a huge credit. You have to do that in the NUIC. And right now they look, they look great. And, and that's a huge win for that program. Yeah, and this was such a, a kind of a different dynamic of a game from last season. You know, Dupec beat Fulton, I think it was 38-24, and just kind of showed their dominance, right? Their offensive line yep. really opened up the holes for Asian Mulcahy. And, and Fulton just uh, shored that up and really played well and kind of <laughs> returned it back to Dupec. So, yeah, great win for Fulton. It really excited to see uh, the rest of their, you know, six games here in the regular season. Um, and I don't know what week they play Lena, but really looking forward to that because now that game becomes even more important. Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll look that up in a second, but speaking of Lena Winslow, they get the win over Galena 46 to nothing. Again, we've seen this in weeks past, Mitch, the Panthers controlled this one from start to finish gauge Dunker with 104 yards, three touchdowns, Gunnar Lobdell with 166 yards, two touchdowns. That's a name we hadn't really called out yeah. this year. So it was nice to see him get a lot of carries and come away with a lot of yardage in a big game. Lee Wynn has now outscored their opponents 156 to 30. So they yeah. are rolling right along, Mitch. They look really good. Yeah, like you mentioned, a Lobdell, uh, a transfer from Orangeville in a loaded backfield, right? And, and so yeah. you, in a game uh, here against Galena, you finally see him pop up on the stat sheet. He had been there, right? You know, it, yep. it was just between you know, the dunkers, the zeals, um, maybe his numbers just didn't pop off as much, but here they certainly do as, as mentioned, 166 yards and two scores. So um, yeah, just another weapon that Lena Winslow has. Yeah. Well, Mitch, 
it's not next. It's not week four, but I knew it was coming up. Week five, Lena Ooh. Winslow and Fulton going up Where, against each other. Where's it at? It is in, it is at Lena Winslow. Oh, I was going to yeah. say, if it was in Fulton, you might have had a shot to cover it. I don't know that, I know. Uh, that Dazzle will <laughs> send you up to Lena, but um, we'll see. What, maybe. what a game that'll be. Yeah, maybe. That, that'd be a long road trip on a Friday night, but I, man, I could probably run into Kyle Campmeyer if I went out that far. Maybe, yeah, right. So. Yep. Give him a camera. Right. That's a, <laughs> yeah. All right. Dakota gets the win 34 to 20 over Stockton. Indians moved to two and one with a comeback victory. Adrian Ariano, Arellano had a big night for Dakota, rushing for 110 yards, one touchdown on only six carries. So great, efficient work for him. He also caught three passes for 96 yards and two more touchdowns. So he is really playing great for Dakota. Yeah. Mitch, we had Thomas Bowman added 80 yards on 19 carries and a touchdown. Uh, Caden Niedermeyer rushed for 68 yards and a touchdown. Stockton got 112 yards rushing and two touchdowns from Carl Hub, a name we've called out for Stockton. So this was one of those games that I looked at and thought it's pretty important for both of these teams who could come away with the win. And Dakota yeah. looked good here. They they rally back and they get the win. Yeah, like, like you just kind of mentioned, it did go back and forth for a little while. So credit to Dan Sheets, Coach Dan Sheets there in Dakota. And all those names we just mentioned, they're, they're scoring in, in a lot of different ways, whether it's on the ground through the air with different players. So really nice versatile attack here from the Indians and a good win. They will play Forreston next week. That being Dakota, we'll get to Forreston. They got the win 34 to 21 over Eastland Pearl city. Mitch, tell me about your guy. My guy again, I, I, I have no idea <laughs> how he pronounces his name, but we're just going with it. Johnny Cobbler, 137 yards and a pair of scores. Greg, this is a tight battle. EPC maybe hasn't had that sort of, um resume that they've been in close games and certainly against teams like Forston, but they had close this to I think it was 28 to 21 late in the fourth so um you know good for the Wildcats showing some fight here because I was I had my eyes on this one as the updates were coming in but Forston does pull away uh and move to two and one so uh again good win for Forston, putting up the, the points as they normally do and they move on yep uh, one more game we covered already. A-Town got the win 49 to nothing over West Carroll. So credit to them for getting the first victory of the season for the Tornadoes. Week four, Mitch, here we are. Lena Winslow, yeah. Lena Winslow at West Carroll. Dupec is hosting Eastland Pearl City. Galena is hosting Stockton. Forreston is at Dakota. And then the really interesting one, yeah. Fulton, I believe, is Fulton at home in this one? <sighs> yes, I do not. Fulton, um, I I don't, I think so. I think Fulton, so. Yeah. Fulton is at home against Muskegon Catholic central. So yeah. let's start with the big non-conference game for the steamers. They get the huge win over Dupec. And this game looks like equally a challenge with this Muskegon Catholic central team out of Wisconsin. Yeah, this is a, a very uh, prominent program there in Wisconsin. Uh, obviously we don't always know um, a lot about these out-of-state opponents. We don't know much about the, the, uh, the state, the talent level of Michigan football compared to Illinois. We're, we're certainly about to find out, but boy, they've got the resume coming off of back-to-back quarterfinal losses in division six in Michigan. That's about class three A. So they are a bigger school than Fulton. Um, this is what really stands out, right? Um, six state titles, 
since 2006, they've got 13 in school history. That's like, yeah. Who? Uh, Joliet Catholic, Rochester, you know, all those big names here in Illinois. This is a very, very good team in Michigan. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like Alina Winslow, right? Pretty, right. pretty close. Yeah. So yeah, I said, I said, Wisconsin, you're right. It's Michigan, uh, Muskegon Catholic central out of Michigan. So yeah, what a, what a matchup, you know, back-to-back weeks. They have, uh, you know, they have this, they have one against Dupec, which they got the win. Then they have this one. Then they have Lena Winslow. So they're in the middle of a gauntlet here, uh, you know, for Fulton, but Hey, that's kind of what you love, man. That's why you play the game is challenge yourself. And this Fulton steamer team has shown that they have the talent to get the job done They're They're coached well. So I, I'm really interested to see how this one goes for them. Here's one thing I know for sure. They're going to look great. Great. Okay. <laughs> They're Muskegon Catholic central uh, appears that they have a, uh, a kind of a, uh, forest green and a gold kind of concept. So okay. I don't know what year of these pictures I'm looking at, but uh, look like a really nice Adidas set. So look like a <laughs> look like a really good football team. So um, should be a really nice uniform matchup, regardless uh, there in uh, in Fulton. Well, Mitch, let's hope that they look great, but only play average, and then the right. steamers come out and they look great and they play great and they come away with a huge win. You know, they they could play great and it wouldn't matter the way Fulton's been playing. So you know, yep. Uh, Yep. Well, uh, like I said, we don't always know uh, what these out-of-state teams are going to look like, even with a resume like uh, Muskegon Catholic, but looking forward to seeing this game on the field. Let's go through uh, the other games. Uh, Lena Winslow at West Carroll. Like we said, Dupec hosting Eastland Pearl City. Galena hosting Stockton. Forreston at Dakota. Mitch, which one stands out to you out of these games? I think Forreston, Dakota um, would be my my next sort of uh, a game in the rankings here. Um, uh, again, Dakota, who just came off a big win against Stockton, played really well. And a Forreston team that has, uh, again, played well all year, uh, battled against DPC. So, uh, again, a game that is going to maybe separate some teams or, or can Dakota maybe pull ahead in the rankings here? Um, not too many of those games here in the conference, kind of those, those standing, you know, shifting type of games. But I think this is one um, moving forward. I think the one that stands out to me is uh, Galena and Stockton, both teams sitting at one and two right now. So they're certainly hungry for a win, adding, you know, as many wins as possible to try to reach that five win mark. This game becomes absolutely critical. You know, when you, when you start looking down the way, they got to get this one. So I'm interested to see who can get that win. But Mitch, let's move into our eight man ranks and maybe the game of the week. We say this a lot about the eight-man division. Yeah. This one may be the game of the year, though. Holy yeah. cow, an instant classic in Amboy. Number one versus number two in eight-man football. We've already seen a matchup like this once this year. This time it's Amboy getting the win over Milledgeville. 40, let's see. No, that score is... 40 to 36. 40 to 36. There we go. It says 26 in our notes. Yep. 40 to 36. Yeah. Okay. The Clippers erase a 10-point deficit to grab their to grab the win in this one. Mitch, Cody Cutter was covering this game for Sauk Valley Media. He's been around the area covering games for 15-plus years, said yeah. it was one of the best games he's ever covered. So yeah. to me, that carries that that carries a lot because he's seen a lot of good football. Yeah, it sure does. I, I was just thinking about this. You know, this is one of those games that we, we maybe even could have led the show with. Um, yeah. But it's also, but it's also on the side hand, we're saving the best for last because this was 
uh, an instant, instant classic game of the year type of thing. Um, a game where it's possible they see each other again and you really hope that they do the way that this one played out. Yeah, let's let's get through it. A let's go through it a little bit. This third quarter, a flurry of touchdowns, three touchdowns in six minutes of actual time. So yeah. in, in real time, it was about six minutes. It was about a minute of game time. You saw right. three touchdowns. Milledgeville's quarterback, Connor Nye, tied the game at 14 with 10 minutes to go in the quarter. Two-point conversion, put the missiles up 16-14. Clipper junior Kyle Cook and his offensive line responded with a big burst through the missiles line, 65-yard touchdown. That's just 12 seconds after Nye's score. That gave Amboy the leads 20-16. to Two-point conversion's no good. Then 11 seconds after, it's after Cook's touchdown, Nye connects with Kaysen Johnson on the 60-yard touchdown. That puts Milledgeville back up 24 to 20. So Mitch, what a wild series of events there. And we weren't done yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just speaking on that flurry that you just mentioned, it was funny as, as Corey Cutter's uh, updates were coming in, you, you were wondering if you were reading it correctly, right? You were just, you had to like look back at the timestamps and be like, boy, that, that that's a lot of action there to unpack it. <laughs> and like you said, six minutes of actual you know, world time, uh, and only uh, just kind of looking at it under a minute, I think so, or just at a minute. So yeah, unbelievable back and forth there. But yeah, as you mentioned, um, uh, the, uh, the, the missiles kind of built up this 20, the 36 to 26 lead by the fourth. Um, but they started to come back. This was a home game for Amboy. So this is where it gets exciting. Brennan Blaine hauled in a 57 yard touchdown reception. The two point conversion was good to draw that game to 36, 34 on the next possession. Amboy defense comes up big forces a turnover on downs and they take the lead. Tucker Lindemeyer, a name that we've talked about all season for Amboy yep. we talked about all season last year, scrambles, calls his own number, Puts the missiles in the lead at 42 Puts 30. the Clippers in the lead. Sorry, puts, puts the Clippers, Clippers in yeah. the lead. Sorry. Yeah. It's, see, a game like this is hard to keep track. Puts yeah. the Clippers <laughs> in the lead at 40 to 36. Still some time. And again, as we as we talked about in the third quarter, um, there's no such thing as you know too little time, too much time here. Millsville gets the ball back, but it's four straight incompletions. That sealed the game for the Clippers. And again, capped an instant classic. Great game here. Yeah, huge game. You know, credit to Amboy. We were excited about them to start the year off, but they've got some big marquee matchups under their belt already against Polo, River Ridge, and now Milledgeville, and they're only three games in. They, they, yeah. they, the resume is already there for this Clipper team. Quarterback Lindenmeyer, like you said, had a great game through for 225 yards, 10 of 17 passing. Brennan Blaine, again, his most targeted receiver, 116 of those yards. Lindenmeyer and Cook combined for the most Clipper rushes with 27 carries for 153 yards. On the flip side for Milledgeville, Connor Nye rushed for 95 yards. He was also 5 for 18 passing, 134 yards. 111 of those to Kaysen Johnson, a guy that, a, you know, guy that has really made a name for himself this year and is playing really yeah. well. So what a game. You know, it's one of those games that you leave thinking, man, you hate to see one team lose because mm -hmm. they both battled so hard for this one. 
Yeah, and shout out to Coach Robel there in Milledgeville. They've had uh, some tough games this season, so I, I wouldn't take too much into their. I, are they one and two now? I think they're two. They're two and one. They're okay, two they were one. two and one. Okay. Yep. Um, still battle tested early on this season, so I, I expect them to continue to play well, continue to rack up the wins, and again, like we mentioned, it's in eight man. There's a lot of things that are possible, including rematches in the playoffs. Um, and this would be one that would be very welcome, I think, for each team to play again and for the fans and for us to, to see uh, another classic like this. So Amboy gets the win over Milledgeville. But Milledgeville put up a fight. They were tested. They're going to be tested again next week, Mitch. We'll get to that matchup in a minute. But let's talk a little bit through the rest of the eight-man scores. West Central gets the win 66-34 to over Ridgewood. Mitch, this was also a battle of unbeaten teams. West mm-hmm. Central goes over 600 total team rushing yards. So, man, talk about doing work on the ground. That's that's even more than Moline, I think, ended up with. And that, right. So yeah. If you're doing that, you're doing something really well. I do want to say, Mitch, this West Central team is so good, and they have a presence on Twitter, but we can't ever find any stats or, like, individual numbers. So yeah. if anybody, if Coach Jason Kirby is listening, or if anybody from West Central – can reach out to us, um, viewfromwestpod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter. Send us a message and let us know how we can get, uh, you know, some weekly updates and find some find some player stats, and we'd certainly love to promote them. Yeah, and that, and that kind of goes kind of uh, division-wide for eight-man, right? We, we, we tend to get them for Amboy and Milledgeville playing these games. But, yeah, we'd love to keep expanding the coverage of this. Obviously, NUIC football does a great job. Um, but, yeah, anyone listening who is in the eight-man uh, realm, Please keep us involved on scores and stats. We'd love to keep promoting uh, promoting this because we think it's great. We think it's going to continue to be great and expand. So, uh, yeah, let's get some stats, some names, and let's uh, let's promote it. Yep. Uh, Polo gets the big win over St. Thomas Moore, forty six to nothing. So great win there. Aquin over Orangeville, sixty to twenty six. Flanagan Cornell Woodland over River Ridge, twenty to sixteen. Bushnell Prairie City over Galva, fifty seven to twenty four. South Beloit gets the win 62 to eight over Rockford Christian life. So let's move into week four slate for eight man division. West central goes on the road to Prairie to Peoria Heights on Saturday. Ridgewood looks to bounce back against Scioto West Prairie. Aquin goes on the road at river Ridge. This is the game. I was ready, ready to tease ahead earlier polo at Milledgeville. So Milledgeville and polo, doing you know the blacktop rivalry i I believe it's called i I, yeah something like that right yeah so that's a long time rivalry there great to see that one back and uh, playing on the eight man stage milford at amboy so milford's been playing well this year they are let's see i believe milford is three and oh so another three and oh matchup against amboy in this one or undefeated matchup i should say south beloit on the road at alden hebron and Galva on the road at Metro East Lutheran. So some great games in the eight-man ranks, but the one that stands out to me, that rivalry, Polo at Milledgeville. Yeah, Yeah, uh, Polo, a team that, you know, um, lost to Amboy in a a tough matchup earlier in the season. Um, But uh, like you just mentioned, nice win over a good St. Thomas Moore team, 46 to nothing. So, um, you know, Polo is the two-time defending champs right so yeah um, 
you know, they are still, despite their losses, I feel like they've kind of gotten lost in the shuffle a little bit, but they shouldn't be forgotten because it's a really good team. This will be an excellent matchup and a good test for Millersville. How do you respond from that emotional, tough, you know, game against Amboy? Can you regroup? Can you refocus? Because you got another one coming in in Polo. And uh, what more can you say? This will be the marquee game of Bateman this week. Yeah, that's the game I'm certainly looking forward to. Um, you also look at, you know, that Milford Amboy game. Yep. I think Amboy's played really well. Milford is three and oh. I think if they're Milford Cisna Park on the road at Amboy, if they come away with that win, that's an upset in my mind. Yeah. There's still three and there's still an undefeated team, but I think it's an upset if you go on the road and beat this Amboy team playing this well. That's an interesting game to follow. Right. And again, kind of the same thing we talked about with Millersville on the flip side for Amboy. Can you stay focused after an emotional win, after a, an exhausting win, after a you know back and forth type of game? So both of those teams interested to see how they respond in big games. Yeah. Well, Mitch, let's look at some, uh, you know, stats and numbers and results from around the state. We like to keep our listeners from our Western side of the state informed on what's going on everywhere. And Mitch Rochelle had a huge game that you, uh, that you found in your research. Yeah. Rochelle, not, not too far away from the viewing uh, listening area. Yep. 687 total yards in a 60 to 35 win over Johnsburg. They got a running back, Garrett Gensler, 15 carries for 362 yards with five scores in this one for, uh, for the hubs. Yeah, that, yeah, that's some big time numbers there. Mitch, uh, going to the smaller school side of things, uh, the, the matchup that stood out to me, Ridgeview Lexington defeats Tri-Valley 21-16. Some may remember last year, Ridgeview Lexington was a semifinalist. They fell to Lena Winslow in class 1A. Tri-Valley was a semifinalist in class 2A. So talk about two teams with a lot of, you know, playoff potential and doing really great work the last few years meeting up against each other and the 1A team Ridgeview Lexington coming away with the win. A few other scores, Mitch, we've been really impressed with Camp Point Central in class 1A. They continue to roll. They get the win over Menden Unity 30 to 8. You also has Tuscola. They get the conference win over Oka Valley. They squeak by 28 to 25. So they also um, are undefeated. And like you just pointed out, St. Teresa, Decatur St. Teresa gets the win yeah. over Central AM. So Decatur St. Teresa once again looking the part. They're 3 0 this year. Um, few other games. I see Catholic gets the win. They're, they're now 2 1 on the season. Wilmington gets the huge win over rival Cole City, 17 to 7. So big one there. Byron gets the win. Reed Custer. Reed Custer looks really good. They got the yeah. win 30 or 53 to nothing over Lyle. So in, in that class 3A level, this Reed Custer team looks like they're, you know, ready to make some noise. Yeah, and I think I saw two. I think I saw Stillman Valley won again. Um, they obviously had that big win over Byron in week one. So uh, I believe that traditional power in Stillman Valley still rolling along. Good to see them back. Yep, absolutely. Mitch, we got anything else? Are we uh, ready to roll into week four here? I think that's it for us. I think we're ready to go. Another great week upcoming. Um, uh, and as we've kind of went through a lot of big matchups, a lot of, uh, again, rivalry games. We talked about Moline and Rock Island. Um, but uh, again, you, we're going to see what Fulton's made of, bringing in that team from, uh, from Michigan coming into town. 
in the Lincoln Trail, Anna and Weathersfield, how good are they going to stack up against probably their toughest game of the season in Otto Marquette. Three Rivers, lots of good matchups. Obviously, the one that we talked about, St. Beat and Newman, and then an eight-man. That's that, that's that Polo at Milledgeville and that Milford at Amboy. So we got really good matchups here across all of our all of our conferences. We got a lot of great matchups. Mitch, I'm excited for one. I'm headed back to Ottawa on Friday after Friday night. Um, I'm, I'm going to see Anawan Weathersfield go on the road to Marquette. I'm I'm excited to be there. Obviously, no secret. Marquette's my right. alma mater. So right. They're playing well right now. I've seen uh, some game highlights via, you know, the NFHS, but uh, I'm excited to see him in person. I'm excited to see Anawan Weathersfield again because they looked really good in week one. And so I, I just, I think it's one of the better matchups you're going to see in class 1A. I'm excited to see this one. And uh, Mitch, yep. I'm always excited to follow your amazing work on Twitter. Yeah, another another big night ahead, and uh, we'll try and keep everyone updated as, uh, as the scores come in. And again, as I mentioned earlier, if, if you got them and I'll, I'll, you know, always tweet out if we're looking for a score in particular, but if you got something, send it to us, we'll make sure to, to give you the credit for, uh, for either being in attendance or tracking that score down. So, uh, but it helps us. It helps. Uh, I'm sure it helps stocking trying to gather all the scores for, for, uh, for the broadcast. So um, it, it's a collective effort and uh, we appreciate it. I do always appreciate though, a panicked Brian stocking tweet at like nine 55 saying, and, does look, anyone have this score? And look, this is, this is, again, what I was talking about before, where technology back in the day was not what it was. And so that was that would be stocking on the phone. At the oh, time, yeah. Trying Absolutely. To find scores, calling the, the pizza place, calling whomever, <laughs> trying to get a score from the game that night. So That's true. Uh, yep. You know, people just won't understand what it was like back then, I guess. But that's also uh, dating us uh, a little bit in terms of technology. Uh, that, was, that was back when TV was TV. Those, those were glory yeah, right? days. So, yeah. Well, thank you to everyone. Mitch, thanks for being here. We'll uh, see you next week. Sounds good. That'll do it for this week's episode of View from the West. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go out to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and subscribe so you can follow along and downloads will come automatically every week. You can follow along on Twitter at ViewFromWestPod. You can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor, ViewFromWestPod at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.